This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yep, that's me, all right. And this is Radio Parallax, and we're going to have some fun for the next hour. You have my guarantee on that. And by we, I mean me. Because I know for sure I'm going to have a great time for the next hour. But hopefully, dear listener, you will too. We'll be joined by some friends later in today's program. And no, not our good pal, Mr. Will Durst, who's apparently currently vacationing in Hawaii. So rather than bother him on vacation, we will instead turn left and head down to Australia. Where our good pal, Pamela Sue Taylor, will join us from Cairns, Australia, to talk about some of the big science stories of the past year. And I want to apologize once again for my croaky voice. And no, I don't know why it's doing this. And I guess I better take it up with my local ENT surgeon. Well, that's if the throat spray doesn't work. We'll see. We're going to report also on uh, a visit earlier this week to go listen to Mr. Thomas Friedman as part of the Sacramento Speaker Series. We want to put a plug in general in for things like the Speaker Series because, well... It's an opportunity to come out and hear a distinguished person from some walk of life interact firsthand with the public, which is something we're trying to do on a weekly basis. I had some mixed feelings about Mr. Friedman before I went to go see him, and I have some mixed feelings about him after I've gone to see him. And for better or worse, we'll share some of those later in the program. Let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 10th of January. It was on January 10th in 1645 that William Laud, the dictatorial Archbishop of Canterbury, was beheaded. Among the charges against him was that he set himself above all national laws. God, we don't do that anymore, which is probably a good thing for the Bush administration. This one surprises me. On January 10th in 1839, tea from India first arrived in the United Kingdom. I'm thinking they must have been drinking tea in Britain before that. Hmm. Maybe this has to do with uh, the stealing of seeds for tea from China and importing them to India. I suspect it does. But my only basis for that is a James Clavell novel I read years ago, so I'm not sure. By the way, if you know the answer to that, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We always enjoy hearing from you, and we frequently learn a thing or two. Here's a local story. On January 10th, back in 1878, California Senator A.A. Sargent introduced a constitutional amendment granting women the right to vote. That amendment eventually did get passed and was ratified by enough states to make it the law of the land, but it did take 42 years. And on this date in 1968, that would be December 10th, and I remember this, the U.S. NASA space probe, Surveyor 7, landed safely on the moon and started sending back photos of the surface. The Surveyor probes led the way to the future Apollo landings on the moon. In fact, the crew of Apollo 12 landed right next to Surveyor Number 3 and uh, went over and cut some chunks off of it to return back to Earth. There's some belief that microbes had managed to survive on that spacecraft for six years on the moon, although I'm, I'm not sure where that finally ended up. There was some thought it might be contamination. And there's another one for you, dear listener. If you know the answer to that one, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Our quote of the day is, 
The easiest kind of relationship is with 10,000 people. The hardest is with one. Oh, here I thought that was said by Wilt Chamberlain. In fact, that's a quote from Joan Baez. My quip of the day is, if you haven't found something strange during the day, it hasn't been much of a day, from John Archibald Wheeler. Mr. Millen asks if that was the John Archibald Wheeler. I'm happy to report that, yet, yes, it was. And no, I didn't know who he was either. It turns out John Archibald Wheeler was an American theoretical physicist who was largely responsible for reviving interest in general relativity in the U.S., after World War II. He was one of the later collaborators of Albert Einstein. We also have a bonus quote and quip, both of which I will use, from Gary Chu. The quote is Gary's repeating of a quote by Tucker Carlson, who said, people despise you when you wear a bow tie. And the quip, which comes from Gary himself, is, actually, Tucker, people despise a person if it's you. All right, our joke of the day is as follows. A ventriloquist had just finished his redneck joke routine when a huge, drunk hillbilly gets up out of his seat and says, I'm sick of your redneck jokes. I'm going to knock the crap out of you. I'm sorry, said the comedian. It was all in good fun, said the hillbilly. I was talking that little jackass on your knee. All right, our stat of the day comes from a list of the 10 most annoying airline passenger habits. This comes from a Huffington Post publication of a, of a search. This comes from the Huffington Post relaying a, um, a survey of 700 crew members from international airlines. We find this list irresistible because some seem quite out of line and some seem, well, not so much that way. For example, clicking fingers to get attention. That could be annoying. Talking through the safety demonstration, ditto. How about stuffing too many bags in the overhead bin? Well, go along with that one. But how about these? Complaining there's no space for their bag in the overhead bin. I don't know, on today's uh, fully booked flights, I could see that could be a legitimate beef sometimes. And this one I have to take issue with. Ringing the attendant bell to complain about temperature. Because on my last flight, which oddly enough was from Shanghai to San Francisco, I got on an aircraft that was so freezing cold, and mind you, I was not feeling well at this point in time, that I, in desperation, had to rely upon techniques learned at a wilderness medicine conference, which was to find a way of insulating yourself. This brings up another complaint I have to have a beef with, asking for more pillows or blankets. Uh, Back on this flight from Shanghai, I did have one flimsy little blanket, it was not going to insulate me sufficiently. So in order to do that, I went to the bathroom, took a bunch of paper towels, and started stuffing them up my pant leg. I sacrificed some writing paper, which I crumbled up, did likewise with. Took pieces, pieces of plastic wrapping, did likewise with. Pretty soon I had enough material stuffed up my pant legs to where, well, I was feeling a little bit warmer. Crazy thing to do? Well, maybe. Crazy thing to have to resort to. 90 minutes into the flight, things warmed up. But boy, I shudder to think uh, how I might have fared without that extra bit of insulation. 
So I might consider taking a roll of toilet paper uh, in my bag, my carry-on bag for future reference in case I'm ever freezing again. Sometimes one thin extra layer does make a difference. All right, let's do some miscellaneous items. Apparently, the current issue of Newsweek is the last one that you'll ever see on the newsstands. At this point, we say good riddance. The once pretty respectable publication had become a bit of a right-wing rag of late with long articles uh, with titles such as Why Obama Must Go. People say in today's uh, current uh, news cycle that you can't make a go of it with a, a magazine. To that we say... Pick up an economist and take a look. Yes, it can be done. It's official. 2012 was the hottest year ever in the United States. This is a a disturbing story, but, um, well, the details are even more disturbing. Note to the New York Times, the temperature difference between years are usually measured in fractions of a degree. But last year blew away the previous record set in 1998 by a full degree Fahrenheit. The paper noted that does not sound sufficiently impressive. Consider that 34,008 new daily high records were set in weather stations across the country, compared with only 6,664 new record lows. Now, that ratio had roughly been in balance as recently as the 1970s, but it's been out of whack for decades as the country has warmed. And this one degree Fahrenheit is even more startling um, than you might think. Weather experts pointed out that until last year, the coldest year in the historical record for the lower 48 states, which was 1917, was separated from the warmest year, 1998, by only 4.2 degrees Fahrenheit, which, if you think about it, makes a one-degree jump rather startling. There's also a measure called the Climate Extremes Index, by which um, weather-related disasters are tallied. It turned out that 2012... Uh, it was the second worst year in record. It was surpassed by 1998, but only by that one year. And among those big disasters is one bearing a label many have never heard of. I certainly never heard of it. The Derecho, a line of severe, fast-moving thunderstorms that struck central and eastern part of the country starting on June 29th. These killed more than 20 people, toppled trees, and knocked out power for millions of households. Ladies and gentlemen, we have more of that in our future. Unless, of course, some volcano somewhere on Earth blows up and sends a huge uh, column of dust and uh, sulfuric acid way up into the stratosphere, like this happened back in 1992 with Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. In fact, if you chart out the rise in temperatures over the past couple decades, the blip in the graph comes the two years after Mount Pinatubo. I don't know if any of you caught the uh, the specials on KVIE about... Uh, about Iceland's volcanoes. Some more scary stuff. Uh, It's entirely possible that air travel between Europe and the United States could be cut off with uh, the eruption of an Icelandic volcano. This This did actually happen a few years ago for a brief period of time with the eruption of the volcano in Iceland I can't pronounce the name of. And you know, I really wanted to because I'm trying to, to get Jeremy Irons' pronunciation of it off the program down, and I had it, but, but I forgot it. All right, I'll go to the web. Hold on. All right, let's call it the Eyjafjallajökull volcano. I'm just going to go with Eya for short. How's that? But you know, it's sad to think that it may take a random volcanic explosion to save us here on Earth over the next few decades. And speaking of a record heat, as we were, it turns out that um, 
um, that that famous world meteorological record, I guess famous in some circles, I mean, you probably have heard of this, you probably read this somewhere, that if you look up the hottest temperature ever recorded, you will have seen up till recently that it was supposedly 136.4 degrees claimed by the city of Al-Aziz, Libya, in September of 1922. California's own Death Valley has always had to take second place to that record with its 135 degree reading in 1913. Well now, according to what's described as a year-long investigation by a team of climate scientists, the World Meteorological Organization announced this fall it was throwing out that 136.4 degree reading. And wouldn't you know it, promotional leaflets that boast of Death Valley as being merely the hottest place in the U.S. are now being rewritten. They're even talking about an official 100-year celebration of the record-setting measurement coming in the fall next July. There's apparently some real science at work here, at least some legitimacy to this. Uh, uh, the final report by these meteorologists found five reasons to disqualify the Libyan claim, including questionable instruments, an inexperienced observer who made the reading, and the fact, probably most importantly, that the reading was anomalous for that region, and specifically in the context of other temperatures recorded in Libya that same day. Of course, apparently there's some that are dissatisfied with that 134-degree reading in Death Valley as well. And if they throw that out, that means that the official world record will be 129 degrees, which reportedly they hit in Australia uh, earlier this week. So, I don't know. 129 just doesn't sound quite as awful as 136. Those of us who live in Sacramento and Davis and Chico and such places can tell you that when they say it doesn't really matter once it gets over 100, someone tells you that, he don't know what he talking about. 110 degrees is a lot more uncomfortable than 100 degrees. Mr. Merlin disagrees with me on this one, but he's of course wrong. And he does wish me to point out to your dear listener that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, and some follow-up on some other stories we've talked about on past programs. How about this one? Piece by Cindy Chang in the Los Angeles Times. USA Baby Cares website makes no attempt to hide why the company's clients travel to Southern California from China and Taiwan. It's to give birth to an American baby. The site says in Chinese, Congratulations! Arriving in the U.S. means you're already giving your child a surefire ticket for winning the race. We guarantee that each baby can obtain a U.S. passport and related documents. Notes the piece, that passport is just the beginning of a journey that will lead some of the children back to the U.S. to take advantage of free public schools and low-interest student loans, which the website notes. The whole family may eventually get in on the act since parents may be able to piggyback on a child's citizenship and apply for a green card when the child turns 21. We've talked about this issue on this program in the past as regards to people coming across the border from Mexico. I know about this because I have personally delivered some of these children who, by virtue of our laws in the States, are guaranteed American citizenship even if their parents are undocumented aliens. It's been a longstanding tradition in the U.S. that, uh, that you know, if you're born here, you're a citizen. But I'd like to think that this current misuse of our legal system by, you know, Setting up a website, flying Chinese wealthy people over here to then take advantage of the U.S. tax system may cause us to give this another look. I certainly hope so. 
and notes this piece in the LA Times, USA Baby Care is one of scores, possibly hundreds of companies operating so-called maternity hotels tucked away in residential neighborhoods in the San Gabriel Valley, Orange County, and other Southern California suburbs. Pregnant women from Chinese-speaking countries pay as much as $20,000 to stay in the facilities during the final month of pregnancy, then spend an additional month recuperating and awaiting the new baby's U.S. passport. The piece quotes Zhang Huiting of Beijing, who's staying in a hotel that he rented himself, uh, where his wife is waiting out uh, the end of their pregnancy, expected to give birth to a son this month. The piece notes that Jiang's hopes echo those of many hotel clients. They want their child to have access to an American education, which is considered to encourage creativity and be less of a pressure cooker than China's rigorous exam-based system. All right, we were also very critical in this program before of Sacramento's disgrace of an international airport where they spent a billion dollars to put in things like a people mover that that takes you on a 45-second ride. Well, actually, I think I'm exaggerating. I think it was actually a 54-second ride. But in addition to its poor uh, design and uh, goofball giant red rabbit, turns out that uh, a disability rights advocacy group from Berkeley is now suing the airport, noting it's got all kinds of problems in the area of disabled access. I know this is apparently not based on any uh, sleazeball uh, local attorneys sending Confederates in with a tape measure to try and see if your uh, if your bathroom is like one inch too short, et cetera, which we've also talked about in previous programs. But uh, you may want to check out a piece in the Sacramento Bee, which notes that uh, the airport's new Terminal B offers many obstacles for people who use wheelchairs and scooters, at least according to the lawsuit. Notes that the height of ticket counters and heavy restroom doors were among the complaints. We've also been sitting on an addendum to the uh, airport story. Piece by Bob Schalt in the Sacramento Bee notes that, uh, that, well, apparently they put some Dallas Cowboy football stars uh, into the flooring of the airport. Apparently the Sacramento County Airport Director and the architect of the $1 billion terminal decided to sneak in some of the logos of their favorite football team. Yes, apparently uh, director Hardy Acri and architect Brent Kelly had to fess up to uh, their little joke about honoring America's team. The airport spokeswoman Karen Doran had to admit that the airport officials had kept the stars low-key. Acri, described as an Arkansas native but lifelong Cowboys fan, isn't giving away the location of some of these star stars. I guess there's four of them, and only two are real obvious. But he apparently agreed with Bob Shallot, suggesting that finding them could become a popular local scavenger hunt pursuit. God, I hate this airport. We'd like to suggest, as 49er fans, that perhaps the airport wants to use some of these Dallas Cowboy stars to mark the locations of where the urinals are. Oh, and speaking of football, the upcoming battle this week in the NFL playoffs between the 49ers and Green Bay Packers is interesting on a couple of accounts. Notably, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, a Chico boy. Rodgers was apparently passed over in the 49ers draft in favor of Alex Smith some years back, and he said he was going to hope the teams that (laughs) didn't pick him would come to regret it. And oddly enough, Colin Kaepernick, the 49ers' current quarterback, as Alex Smith sits on the bench, is from rural Wisconsin. So yeah, we've got a Californian quarterbacking the Packers and a Wisconsin native Quarterbacking the Niners. 
I have to say that in my family, we were 49er season ticket holders from 1955 on. So we are rooting for the local team. I have to admit, Aaron Rodgers has done one heck of a great job for the Packers. We also know it with some sadness that prior to the 49ers prevailing over the Pack earlier this season, they had lost 10 in a row. In no small part uh, uh, due to the fact that in the late 90s, a lot of the quarterback coaches from the Niners moved over to the Green Bay Packers and apparently knew the ins and outs of the offense. The game this Sunday, by the way, will be in Candlestick. I think this is the first um, uh, first visit by Aaron Rodgers, who grew up as a 49er fan, to Candlestick. It's going to be interesting no matter how it turns out. Let's close by noting that one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result, which might be relevant to this article from the San Francisco Chronicle by Jill Tucker, noting that California students who fail algebra and repeat the course are pretty much doomed to fail again, according to recent studies. Now, our criticism of how math is taught uh, in California has gotten us some hate mail, but uh, this correspondent is sticking to his guns on this position that... uh, The way we teach algebra is a disgrace. Yes, it is an important topic, but not the way it's currently being taught. I do blame this on mathematicians who think that people should love algebra just for the sheer joy of manipulating the figures on the page. We think it should be taught with an emphasis toward the fact that it actually does have a practical application in the real world. Something I think you would never know (laughs) based on the way that it is uh, currently being fed to our poor students. We should take a short break. Let's do so. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. I think, Mr. McMillan, you have something queued up relative to that story about uh, Chinese coming over here, don't you? Having my baby What a lovely way of saying how much you love me Having my baby What a lovely way of saying what you think of me I can see 